I'm Andrew Millen, and you're listening to the Celtic Soul Podcast, and you're all very welcome back. My guest on the show today will be Adrian Hilly-Hillman, the driving force behind St. Margaret's Celtic Supporters Club, from small acorns grow large oak trees. This episode has been sponsored by Celtic Canvases Ireland. Big shout out to Owen for his continued support of both the fanzine and now the podcast. If your business or Celtic Supporters Club like what we're doing with the podcast and would like to become a sponsor, please email us at info at celticfanzine.com. You can also contact us through the website or message us on social media. Happy birthday, dear Celtic. 133 years old today. A football club will be formed for the maintenance of dinner tables for the children and the unemployed. Brother Warford, 6th of the 11th, 1887. We salute you for what you have left us and what we have become. I would also like to wish Charlie Gallagher a very happy birthday. Charlie celebrated his 18th birthday recently. Charlie won it all with Celtic. 13 major trophies, including the European Cup and the first player born outside Ireland to play for the Republic. I had the pleasure of interviewing Charlie a number of years ago up in Ballymena, and what a gentleman, a great Celtic fan who is still living the dream. One step forward, two steps back. That seems to be the story this season for Celtic. It is bad enough not being able to go to watch Celtic, but having to watch a disorganised performance like last night was a signal to the pit of the stomach. What has changed since Sunday when we looked at different team? The same team that done so well on Sunday started the game, but after 10 minutes or so, they looked like they had never played together before. Sparta Prague, who were looking like the whipping boys of the group after the first two games, gave us a good whipping last night. Embarrassing. Calls for Lennon to go will once again be shouted out loud on social media, and he needs to get a handle on this, and so do the players sooner rather than later. Motherwell away now on Sunday, with all the pressure that goes with it, is on the whole team and the management team. All eyes will be on this shaky defence after another shambles last night. When we got back into the game with substitute Griff scoring and from an attacking position, El Hamid gives the ball away and it's another counter-attack. Duffy and Bitton looked as slow as a week in jail. Eddie had another disappointing shift. The Eggman Frimpom did print a shift, but with no end product. I expect a big response on Sunday or I expect a big meeting in the boardroom over the international break. Pressure and expectations comes with being a manager, a coach or a player at Celtic. And this season is a big, big season and they need to step up sooner rather than later. Across the city, Stephen Gerrard's team were hopeless after the winter break, but they stuck with him and are now reaping the rewards with decent results, plenty of penalties, both domestically and in Europe. The stick-or-twist-Lennon debate will continue to rumble on. These are difficult times, but we have been here before as a club, but never without the fans to drive the team on from the terraces or to be vocal when criticism is needed. Adrian Hilly Hillman was born in Belfast, but moved down south as a child. His dad Tommy took him to his first Celtic game, and since then he has followed Celtic home and away, and was a regular at Ireland games when Celtic had Mick McCarthy, Packy Bonner and Chris Morris in Jack Chanton's army. He formed the St. Margaret Celtic Supporters Club back in 1998. The club is called after his sister Margaret, who was taken far too young by cancer. Hi Hilly, you're very welcome to the Celtic Soul podcast. Strange times indeed to be running a supporters club with no travelling or tickets to be allocated. Morning, Andrew. How are you? I'm all good. Hit. Morning up there. The sun's shining. It's a beautiful day. Well, apart from last night. But yeah, strange times is right. Uh, uh, strange times. Nothing to allocate. But then again, maybe we were, in a, we were better off in a small lockdown after last night's performance. It was just completely embarrassing, you know? Yeah, use the word embarrassing, Hilly. And we've seen 
some great performances by Celtic and we've seen some bad ones. Normally the bad performances were away from home. This was at home in Celtic Park. There seemed to be a massive difference in attitude from Sunday and it was the same team that started. Well, when you watch Sunday's game, we had a buzz. We were, I was dancing around the sitting room and, and Arla said to me, the wife, she's the sooner the better Celtic that these boys back. I'm sick of it every week. We had a bit of a zip, we had a bit of a thing. And then I, was, I was confident enough last night with uh, them boys missing seven players and then they had the third goalkeeper. And we were so flat, so indecisive, uh, so slow at the back, oh, so lethargic. You could use so many words about the whole situation. I think last night, on a personal view, and I'm not a Lennon knocker because of a great time for Lennon. You know, you know where I live here in the lake, across from uh, O'Neill's Bar, and like Lennon stood here many years ago and signed every autograph for every child in his village. Came to the charity dinner dances only a year ago. Sure, we were hugging, hugging him in the, outside the Vatican the morning of the match when he was going for a little tour and talking to him. I just have the greatest respect for the man. But I think last night is, uh, I think last night could be Lennon's. Tony Mowbray moment, you know. It's just, it's just you want to curl up and hide behind a settee, you know. It's just so embarrassing, you know. That's the, you keep using the word embarrassing, Hilly. Um, I don't think we're at the Tony Mowbray moment yet, uh, but we can't have too many more performances like that because uh, then we sure will be at a Tony Mowbray uh, moment. I think definitely missing, Hilly, the, the fans at home because there doesn't seem to be any home advantage now. I think every team... In every country you're missing the fans it's just so flat so so lethargic even when I flicked over to see how the uh, our brothers across the, the city were doing you, you could hear a pin drop flicked over to the Tottenham game you could hear a pin drop it's just the, the fans are so oh, it's just words can't describe how much you miss the fans the atmosphere you know the, the yeah. noise and the telly even though as you know we're not none of us aren't really big TV fans we're, we're travellers you know to go on the games. Yeah, it's uh, after the game last night, you know, the dog is starting to hide now because he's getting that many walks. He loves a walk, but there's nowhere to go. Really. The pubs are closed. You know, you, you can go for a walk or you can go to bed. And, you know, after these games, like last night was one, you know, it was just go to bed and sleep on it. And then when I woke up this morning, I have to say, it, 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 felt, just as, it felt as bitter as it did last night when I was going to bed. I was working up in Monaghan Town, Jim Greenham's country, and uh, I left after the match because they didn't want me to put half 11 up in Monaghan Town. But we're working for a contract, I don't name any names, and a goofy little lad's up there kicking with the left foot. They come down from Belfast for sure, and I pulled around the corner in the truck. I could see them all laughing and joking, but sure, you have to have the banter as well, you know. There was nowhere to hide last night either, even at 6 o'clock this morning. So, But listen, it's, it's like the uh, circle of life football games, you know. You're up, you're down, but we just need to get over this blip. We need to, you know, move on to Sunday. We need to get the spark back because no matter what happens, and I just seen some ridiculous comments last night, uh, but Europe, you know, we need to be in Europe, you know, for the financial package. But but this is this is the year. This is the ten year. This is the ten. You were there in '98 when we stopped them winning ten, and we still talk about us winning that league when we stopped ten. We them boys, that Celtic team, stopped the ten are all legends. Even to this day, after all these years, what is it, 20 odd years ago, we don't want to make Stephen Jarrett and his team legends. The 10, even though you'd be sick of hearing it, but we need to win the 10. And so those Rangers need to stop the 10. But this is so important. I can't understand how the players can't get themselves up for this. People have to go to work every morning. 
people want to get up at half five, six in the morning to go to work. No, I'd love to be a footballer, travel stop and win the 10. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. Jesus, well, where do you go? Hilly, when you go back to that stop of the 10 season in 98, that, that wasn't all, all win and glory either. We had to grind out results. We lost a lot of games and we still got there in the end because Rangers blew up. Rangers blew up with a couple of results. Okay, yeah. We got there. Like we, As you remember, we had to go to Dunfermline to get a result up there. One nil up and then the equalised. I think it ended up one all, you know. I was on a... I have a, a small story of that one. Uh, and they party organised a bus from uh, Dublin. I know for the younger listeners, they probably think this is a, a made-up story, but this is the time before mobile phones and WhatsApps and Sky TV and flicking here and results in your hand. They party on a bus between us and them and a whole lot of us, 50 of us, up to Belfast to watch the Dunfermline game in telly, up to uh, Celtic pub in Belfast. Jerry Brady, all the... All the mad hers of the day, you know. Up to Belfast, watch the game. So your man decides to give us all a crate of harp, 50 of us, each on the bus on the way home. So we were all mental, hanging out of seats, jumping out windows. So we stopped outside. Uh, I always remember it was the old, there was no motorway then. It was the old uh, the old road outside Newry, but it's just come before you come to uh, Carrickdale Hotel. There's a garage on your right-hand side. I know a lot of people can visualise it. You can buy your rockers and your oil and your bangers, but... So we all pulled in there for the old pissed up and drinking a few cans and singing rebel songs. But sure, the bus driver at the time had a sort of little flags at the front of his bus. You know, every every country. Sure, he won Union Jack. So Jerry Brady decided to, to steal it. You know, thought it was hilarious and, and, and laid it. You know, the bus driver flew blew the canopy. And that was it. He started walking down the road, left the bus there. So we all had to run after him and drag him back and beg him and. Say we're sorry and Jerry Brady, oh, Jesus, what a day. What a day. What a day 50 was going up to watch a game in telly on that, that, that 98 season, you know, uh, the innocent days, you know. So up in Belfast, City, they could pick the signal up for the game. It was obviously on terrestrial TV in Scotland, but they couldn't, yeah. they couldn't, they couldn't pick it up down the south. So a bus trip to Belfast for a game on TV and now with wall-to-wall coverage between the internet and the TV. Look back when we were all back together in Satley Park in March uh, against St Mirren. What was the challenges since then to keep the supporters club going? Because obviously we don't have a blueprint for when we're going to be travelling back to Glasgow or further afield. See, at the time, on a, on a personal note, like this corona, as you know yourself, we went over to your, your, your Celtic festival in March. It was the Thursday after uh, the St Mirren game. And I was only talking to Bobby Singh, who owns the Hartle Hotel, rang me the other day to wish me happy birthday because you know them boys they all, they all love singing happy birthday to me you know but he was saying to me you think it was only a dream that we were all together in the Arto the place packed you know with the Lisbon Lions boys with Kenny boys Shimmy Dara's lads you know Kieran Kenny's lads it just seems a dream it's that long ago then we went to Tyler of the Coast to your wonderful festival over there in Batea and the Corona you know you're hearing the rumours and then uh, then you get the, the word back the Rangers game the St. Johnson game was cancelled then Abrox but you think in a couple of months, you know, the dust will settle, the season book renewals come out. Like in fairness, we have 120 season books, 120 lads and, and girls, of course, renewed every book because Celtic had the upper hand in this because this is the 10 season. This is the famous 10, they kept telling us. So everyone coughed up their money. No problem with anyone. But then as you, as you see, as the months go on, during the summer, the, the COVID seemed to go down and I was pretty confident that we'd be back in October. 
And it, I think we seem to be getting farther away all the time. It could be, it might not even be the season at all. Things could change. We could be back in February and March. You wouldn't know. It's just, just very difficult at the moment, you know. Yeah, and I think it's going to be difficult, Kelly. I spoke to Kieran Kenny on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and of course, Kieran's heavily involved with Nave Park, and he would be a regular on the boat and in contact with a lot of the supporters' clubs. I think it's going to be a hard ask to go back to 120 season book holders and ask them to renew their books again should we not see a game this season. And I think Celtic, you know, will have to step up with, with some kind of initiative, you know, an incentive for people to, to buy their books again because, as you know, hey, there's a lot of people not walking and still on, still getting the COVID payments. Yeah, well, it's this... Uh... If we don't go back, if we don't, in some markets, we, as you know yourself, you've been involved with the club long enough. We do, we do a scheme ourselves. We do a, a payment scheme over over five months, you know, for lads in the club. You know, there's people out there with small kids, the mortgages, and as you said yourself, a lot of people have lost their jobs. You know, we try to keep the book as cheap as you can. It was probably our cheapest season book we ever done to keep the incentive, you know, for the lads. But it's going to be very difficult, and I suppose it's everyone's choice to cough up the money again. But Celtic have to be in a situation now to reward the fans' loyalty. Like some of the season books are 600 sterling. Some of the, like as I said, I was talking to Bobby the other day. He owns four director's boxes. Trevor, 13,000 sterling, he coughed it. Celtic have to step up the pit next season. And if we do lose the 10, and praying to God we don't, we're going to go back to Ronnie Delia crowd times. 30,000 people. And you see that flag in the corner? that Super Brandon Rogers looked down, that'll be back up again. Unless Celtic push the boat out next season, we're, we're going through very difficult times. Even if you look at the English Premiership teams, Man United are losing 5 million every home game. Tottenham are losing with a new stadium, 9 million every home game. Celtic, only small fish compared to the all that, but we have to, We Celtic have to do something next season. It's imperative for the supporters, for people, as you say, on the furlough, or what do you call it, the COVID payments. It's just, it's up to Celtic, it's over to you. Yeah, and, and like, I suppose, um, touched on it before in the podcast, Eddie, you know, Celtic, the powers that be of Celtic have been so quiet. You know, we, we hear we hear them when they're looking for a few bob. And it, again, it's an individual decision. But I, I would certainly think that they will have challenges to how they come up with a, an alternative to what we got this year for, for, for our season break money. Because basically what we've got is we've got a program we can download and a match we can watch on TV. I suppose we could go on and on and on about that. We'll have to wait and see what the club the club does for us, you know. Again, we're talk, they're talking about 300 fans back in the ground in Ross County, but I spoke to John Paul about this. He said, you know, it's not football as we know it. You know, I don't know if, if, if I want to be going back into the stadium until we can go back in and be football fans. I don't want to go in and sit as if I'm in a library, you know. And like I suppose for us, Hilly, the majority of our members are based in Ireland. And we also have travel restrictions, you know, self-isolation and restricting our movements if we were to attend the game. So for me, I think this season is definitely out. And I definitely think it's out for a lot of people. Well, just talking to Marty Gilmore from Ballymena there, I didn't know you're on the Zoom call there. The situation probably is, it'll be like the German model. You'll uh, You'll get your text and your client reference if we get to go ahead. Say say we're 30,000 of the game. Say we could travel. But say some markets or someone else 
you can bring 10 over. But then they'll give you a time slot, one o'clock, you have to be up at the game, okay? It could put you in the north stand upper, Chalkstein lower. It could put you anywhere. You're going to sit down on your own. Then you have to get the allocated time when you leave after the game. You're going to toddle down to the Arto Hotel, sit down on your own, wait for the other lads to come down, if there's any more lads to go. They're on about no drink, no nothing, you know, before the game. It's just going to be, it's going to be a nightmare until we get back to full crowds at the minute. But it'd be great to get 30, 30 or 40 lads over without the travel restrictions just to get keep things moving, even beginning of the season. I'd like to be positive, but I just don't see us getting back anytime soon to, to the normality we know, because um, for us to go to a game, it's about travelling, it's about your mates, it's about the crack, it's about the game, it's about hugging if we score, it's about you know walking down the road if we lose and having a point and reflecting on the game and you know getting to airports or ferry ports or getting on buses. and I just think that that's a long way off, but I'm going to take it back, Hilly, for uh, a bit further back for the listeners. Can you just take us back to your formative years following Celtic from Ireland and then later when you were in Birmingham? Well, what do you, what do you call this podcast again? Celtic, Celtic Podcast. You have to bury your soul. Well, to be honest about it, uh, as you know, I was born in Belfast in 1966. I don't like shouting and roaring about that because I know I got the load of birthday wishes last week. Uh, due to the, the political situation at the time, my father was a bit of a runner, so we didn't see much of him. So my mother made the decision in the middle 70s to move down the south. So we moved down to a place uh, for a couple of years, a place called Granard in County Longford, which is probably the biggest culture shock. Anybody, we, we left Anderson's Town on a, on a Wednesday, you know, Anderson's Town's with 50,000 people in it. We landed in Granard in County Longford in 1976 or something, 77. A house in the middle of a field surrounded by cows. Now, you may think I'm a bit mad, but it was probably the first time I actually seen a cow. Me and my sister Margaret, and we just wet ourselves laughing, you know. So we we done a couple of years there because my mother just, it was just wasn't for us. It was just, no offence to anybody on the podcast who is from Longford, but we, my mother seen no future. Only, I was only young then, so I didn't really understand. We, we went down to Balbriggan, which is a fair spin from Granite and County Longford, to look at a house and uh, looked at it. But my mother was telling me at the time, you know, a few years ago, it was too expensive. But we sort of got lost and ended up in Delik, because my brother called it Belik, and it was a bit Belik then in uh, uh, 1979. So we ended up looking at a house, and thank God uh, my mother and father bought it uh, in uh, the June of 1979. We, we, we all we all moved down here, you know. But then again, my mother says, you don't need the curtains up two weeks. My father wanted to move again. And she told, she, she said, no, this is it, Tommy. You go and stand here with the kids. So I always respect my mother's decision. Not a Celtic story, but my mother's decision to leave us in the league. Proud of where I come from in Belfast. I'm very proud of where I come from in, you know, the and County Maid, you know. Love the place, love the village, you know, love the attitude. I think it was October, probably 79. I know probably Jim Green would be listening to this anyway because I know he was up with the game. At the time, you know, I was, I was more a Man United supporter than a Celtic fan because you see more, you know, the Stephanies, the McQueens, the Buckhams, the Greenhoffs. You see more of that in match of the day than you would Celtic, you know. So my father said to me, Celtic are playing in the European Cup. The European Cup then was only small, so we had uh, we played Dundalk 
can't even tell you what night it was, but I always remember my father and a fella called Eddie Sherry heading up there. And I know my me, me brother-in-law is probably listening, I am my brother, because they support the old and darkers, the Baxter say the old crap town, you know, up there. So it was a day opposite the shed end. It was a dirty old red soil. They, they built the bank up so you could see more of the, the Celtic team, you know. And I said to myself, Jesus Christ, what am I doing here, you know? All these Glasgow boys, you know, Celtic, Celtic. And here's me, a young fella, you know. Jesus, I said to myself, what is this? This, this? this craziness. And that sort of turned me, you know. Celtic went from being my second team to my first team, you know, as a young fella. And so that was the beginning of the journey, a slow journey from then, because you're only young fella back then, you know, you, you got a few games, you know. Then Doc, even at the time, a couple of years later, played Liverpool and they played uh, a team from uh, Hungary, who were the Hungarian champions. Me and Tommy made skip school and head up and watch games like that, just to watch live football, because it wasn't so assess, accessible as it is now, you know. So went through the uh, late 80s, done a few games, Couple of Scottish Cup finals. Uh, done the nineteen eighty nine Scottish Cup final through from here for with Atlas Travelers. Only looking at the ticket the other day. Frank McKenna run Atlas Travelers. Like he's dead, my God, God rest him. Uh, the ticket was five sterling to get into Hamden that day. But the flight with Aer Lingus was a hundred punts, hundred punts thirty something years ago, which is a lot of money. The avenues weren't great to get over to see Celtic then, but you get over a few games a year. But I think. In the winter of '89, I moved over to Birmingham, England, because at the time here, you wouldn't get a job. Uh, wouldn't get a job in a fruit and veg shop, but in the league we had Jody's uh, done a lot of car seat covers, so I've done a lot of local uh, local employment for people. But the construction, there was nothing here, so made a decision to go in England uh, to Birmingham in '89, which at the time and still I was only thinking about it is it opened the world of football to me. Back to them years, I know for the younger listeners, then, as you know, then it was very, very hard to get to watch football. You'd match the day, you'd just show maybe Scottish highlights. RT for a couple of years used to show the Rangers, Celtic and Rangers games, but that was it. When I moved over to Birmingham, '89, uh, staying with a fellow called Declan Brodigan, I just said to him, "Who, who follows Celtic around here? What's the crack?" He says, "You have to go to a pub called the New Talbot in the Hagley Road. Go in." Ask for a fellow called John Darcy. He says, you only have to ask for him. Walk in, he says, stuck in the car, and he probably started sitting in the paint, fell with a beard, a grumpy bastard, he says. So I walked in that Sunday evening, and I met, looked in, looked around, I seen this fellow, Celtic jersey on and a beard. See you, John. Who's fucking asking? I says, Hilly, I want to hear, I want to go see Celtic. I know about it. He says, so the following week, we were on the bus from the middle of Brum and heading up to the, heading up to Glasgow. And as I said, he had opened up a lot of options and even without Celtic, if you're working in Birmingham during the week, say on a Wednesday, you could jump in the 11A in Burwood, shoot down and see the villa. Or where I lived in Birmingham, it's a 10-minute walk up to, up to see the Baggies, West Brom. It gave you so many options and the options you had in here was like unbelievable as you could tip down and, you know, see McGrath play on a Wednesday night or you could down and see the Baggies. I'd never go to Birmingham though, so I have much love for them, El Zulu Warriors, you know. But it opened up so many options, met so many good Birmingham people travelling up and down with the Mahans, Bram Murray, good Birmingham people, good Celtic supporters up and down in that bus, six hours, six and a half hours, six and a half hours back. Great supporters, great times, you know. Yeah, you mentioned John Darcy there. Uh, John was a, 
as you say, the grumpy one, but it used to tell me he was happy inside and John had passed away shortly after we played Juventus in Celtic Park, uh, missed by us all, as indeed is Jerry Morgan, another stalwart of the club. So it's good to hear about, uh, you know, your, your connection there with, with John. But Hilly, uh, I had Jerry Payton on, on the podcast and he, he spoke uh, how proud he was to be a part of the Birmingham Irish community. And I had him on after Jack Charlton died. Now, you were a big fan of Big Jack. Uh, you travelled back then everywhere to see Ireland. And, you know, you, 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 you two World Cups, you were at the Euros. You know, and it must, you must have some great memories from them times. Well, I used to do all the games well, as a young fella. Myself and Tommy and the boys from the league here used to go up and watch the own hand games, you know. And Big Jack got the, got the old call, you know. It was a bit dubious myself, but uh, as I said, it was like going to Birmingham at the time. It opened up a box. Well, I was actually working in Birmingham. I came back over to head over to the World Cup in 1990. It opened up treasure trove of cities that you'd only dream about. Places where you had to go up there. Even when we went to Poland in 91, you had to head up to the Polish embassy and get the visa to get to Poland. It was just, it was like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Budapest, you had to get a visa. Latvia, Lithuania, only after coming out of sort of communism, early 90s, heading to Latvia with your visa, staying there for a week, getting the overnight train to Vilnius, staying there for another week, did some work for two weeks, did some work for a week in Poland, Istanbul, Copenhagen, Portugal, America, Italy, the cities. You can write a book about it. Well, Tommy says I have to write a small book about it, you know. Great places, even Liechtenstein. Places you'd never see if you're a normal Joe Soap if you didn't grow in with Jack's army and all, and the people you met. Even though uh, there's people who were on that famous trip, fun track trip in 1990, the Gary Griffins, the Mark Donnelly's, people are on that, you didn't know them then. Now they're all staunch members of the Marcus Celtic Supporters Club, you know. Yeah, I think you, Hilly, uh, I'll have to have a chat with Tommy because if you were to write a book, I would certainly be filing a lawsuit to stop the publication of that one because we have got up to some shenanigans over the years and we wouldn't like our kids to, to find out the truth. Well, that's true, Millish, but uh, <laughs> I have to be very careful because Arliss listened to your podcast. When he said, I, was just, I was listening to Karen Kenny's in her days. It's very good. He says, when are you on? I said, I'm on next week, but it could be cancelled, you know. It could be X-rated. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. There's, there's a lovely story, Hilly, about, um, you mentioned, I think it's Latvia now, you, you, when you went to Latvia as, as, a, as a Northern fan, you, you, did you meet someone over there and recently you came in contact with them again? Well, we were in Latvia in 92. We were there for a week, Riga. At the time, people were saying, where were you going then? I'd say, Latvia. I'd say, where the fuck's that? No one knew where Latvia or Lithuania was. So we headed over there, myself, uh, Stevie Dorn and Brendan Conway. I was actually involved with the uh, London Irish Supporters Clubs. Uh, I met Stevie and Brendan when I was in Poland in 91, so we sort of, we were hung around together. And I was in Warsaw on my own. Went there for a week on my own, but hooked up with the lads. So we decided we'd go to, through the London Irish Supporters Club. Tommy Feely and the boys there, God rest him, he died there a few weeks ago. We'd travel over to Latvia. And then, it's not like people know Latvia and I, we didn't know where we were going. But we landed, we just after coming out of communism or whatever it was. The great little city, but having a few beers in the square one day and a few Latvian lads, some of just a bit younger than ourselves, you know, just talking away to them, you know. They had nothing. They had nothing, Millish. 
It's the same we went to Poland. The, the people had nothing. Queuing up outside shops for nothing. So we bought the lads a few beers and, you know, got a bit of grub, you know, just try, just wait a few pounds, just trying to be nice to them, you know. And then a bit of hassle these Russian police. I didn't know who they were. Shouting them roaring and your man told them in Russian to, to go feck themselves, you know. So the boys hung around with us. We looked after them. So we're doing, they were doing no harm. They had nothing. They hadn't a pot to piss and they had nothing. Give them a few. Then you, you, you took the dollars over there and laugh you. They love the old dollars, you know. A few dollars and all that. So done the week there. The boys come down to Lithuania, but they're on the train and the, the, the police took them off and sent them back to fucking Riga. So about, uh, about a few weeks later, I got, a, I got a letter from one of the lads, a fellow called Grits. A school teacher wrote it, or someone wrote it for him in broken English. Thanks for being so nice and your generosity. You, Brandon and Steve, you know, I'll never forget you and this, you know. So about two years I was cleaning up my shed and getting things set up and the letter fell out of a book, you know. I was just sitting there looking at it. I just said to Arla, I wonder what ever happened to that fella, you know. She says, check him on Facebook for the crack. So I checked, flick through, flick through, trick, there it was, it came up. So I sent him a private message of the cover of the letter. Four or five days went by, nothing. Next week, bing, 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 bing. He had all these photographs from Riga when we were all there. Myself, Brandon, Steve, Tommy Feely, all the lads. Oh, my God, he says he couldn't believe this. Couldn't believe it through the power of Facebook. So he says, you must come back to Riga. So uh, last I told myself, Arla, my daughter Clara, my mother-in-law went over, met him and his family. So I said, I'm going to meet you in, in Riga. I'll text you. So he texted me a dress to go to. Brought, it was about 15 kilometres, 20 kilometres, I said, Riga. And uh, this man said a bit Irish, but it was a proper Latvian pub. Latvian DJ, Latvian drink. Lav, you know, not the touristy stuff. But we had the best three days ever. So since then, we've been in constant touch. He's only a couple of weeks ago, he sent me a load of, uh, I think it was the 100th anniversary of Freedom Square in, in Riga. Sent me a load of stuff over and I'll have to get him a few bits to send over his kids. He's four kids over there now in Riga. The, even the, the, we, uh, they appreciate stuff as well. So I have a box of stuff ready to post over next week. And even two weeks ago, the picture that was up on Facebook from last year, another Latvian lad who was in the picture commented on it and he says that's me in the left holy jeez he says so he private messaged me he's living in Glasgow so the next time I'm in Glasgow hopefully he said he'd meet me for a couple of beers so the social uh, social network is so small now it's just unbelievable you know yeah so the St Margaret's uh, we've got members in a lot of country cities so now we could have a, a new Latvian member a Latvian member yeah that's what, that's what was kicking myself when we during the Cove when we played Riga we should have been all over there and I could have been the little tour guide for you as all, you know? Yeah, that would have been brilliant because we, like, we do like a bit of culture when we go away. Oh, yeah, completely. And that just, I'm just, I was just thinking back on some of the great um, trips we had with St. Margaret's City when you're talking about all these cities that you travel with Ireland. And, uh, and when I mentioned culture there, just one story that comes to my mind is Eugene Kavner. We sat in Eugene, we were in Amsterdam on the morning after the, the famous game when we beat them under Martin O'Neill in the, the qualifier for the group stages, Champions League. And we, we, we'd been partaking um, in Amsterdam, I suppose, uh, in local cuisine and uh, a few beers. And Sky Sports stopped us on the street and they, they wanted our comments on the game, which we gave. And then they asked us, what, how, how did we like the city? To which Eugene Cameron replied, it's a lovely city for culture. 
and I really enjoyed the art galleries. Now, between me and you, unless he was sneaking out at night, he certainly wasn't visiting them art galleries. But that was just, there were so many great, you know, trips over the years with St. Margaret's and, and hopefully so, so many to come. Hilly St. Margaret's was a small local supporters club, you know, based in, in, a, in a village in, Dulik, in Mead, County Mead, Dulik. When we started all those years ago, we had three season books, we had 200 quid in the bank. In the past 20 years or so, as you said there, we, we've grown to 120 season books from based all over Ireland and in Glasgow, which is a great achievement. But there's, there's, a, there's a sad story behind the naming of the club. Would you just give us um, a little bit of an insight into why the club is called St. Margaret's? And, you know, I know what it is, but just to give the listeners an insight on how special the club is to you and what, you know, the name and what it stands for means to you. Because since we, we formed the club, we thankfully we've, we've also embraced the attitude of Brother Walford and we've worked with a lot of charities over the years. But just if you can just give the listeners a little insight into you know, why the club is called St. Margaret's? Well, I came back from Birmingham in 1993, 94. So I said to me, me mate, still me mate, since he bumped into me in 1979, uh, so I'm trying to get over the, a few more Celtic games, you know, so uh, we heard about the Nail Park in Dublin, at the time the biggest supporters club in the country, well-run organisation, top lads, Mark Burke and Albert, so uh, myself and a good few of us down there were all near Park lads, uh, Tommy, Tom Cunningham. So the list goes on. Uh, we done a lot of travel with with, uh, with Mark and Albert. Sometimes taking a fifty seater from the village from the lake to Drada and heading up. We just got a bit big, too many travelling. So I think about ninety. I'm getting mixed up with my years here, but uh, Albert was saying at the time we were just. We we too many buses going, and Albert was sending me and Mark said to me, "Why don't you form your a small club in in Dalek, you know, and organise our own transport up?" And he gave me Jim Mervyn's number. We'll get on, you know, take the pressure of Mark and Albert because they were. I think it's sometime near. I think for a, a cup game against Airdrie or something between Dalek, Drada, and all the Dublin lads. I think it was four buses headed for the boat, you know. So Albert just said, "Maybe form your own club, you know." So just talking to brother, we came down from uh, Keg and Nangle. That's where they used to be up in Dublin Airport. And he says, sure, give it a go, you know. And uh, Mark says, listen, I'll give you four season books, you know, four four or five books, you know, get you going. Because at the time, books were scarce enough, you know. Uh, sadly, that year, my sister, uh, Margaret, who was only a year, a year younger than me, passed away with cancer at uh, 29 years of age, you know. Even when I, I know it's probably... Nearly every listener on here has lost someone to cancer. But I suppose when you lose your sister, your young sister, it just it shakes your, your your foundations. You know, you're talk- I come back from the Motherwell game on the, the Saturday before she died, right on the Sunday. Back then, it was you know, wasn't many mobile phones, and she was a uh, she did a good job at BA in Newcastle in England. She loved the Geordie. She loved she loved Newcastle so much, you know. And uh, talked on the Sunday and uh, what's a crack? Our grandson. I was over the mother that game, you know. I oh, says, "You're mad, you know that? Who you with? Ask me and the boys, you know. Bit of crack, you know. You're mad, she says. It'll kill you that Celtic, you know. Is that how you keeping? 
Ah, not too bad. She says, not too bad, not too bad. So do you want me to call over? I can fly over during the week. No, it's not going to be grand, she says, you know. Going to be grand, she says. Then Tommy get on. Her and Tommy, Tommy, my best mate, talking away there on the phone. And he says to me, she's not going to make it. Do you know that? This is why. She's on about that time and this time. And do you remember that time your man, see, back in the league we years ago, just throw you back a few years ago, we were the famous Delete Headbangers in the ACDC and Black Sabbath and Twisted Sister. And Margaret was in the, all this Spandu Ballet crack. She was hanging out around these lads from Balbriggan. All earrings, they all look like Duran Duran lads. So the Delete Headbangers landed me, mother and father, on holidays or something. So we run the whole lot of them back to Balbriggan, you know. The Headbangers <laughs> weren't taking any mess. So she kept on about them stories in the old days. Tommy said to me, I don't think she's going to make it. Nice, she's grand. She's talking about this and that. Then, working away up in the dock at the time, actually, and uh, I just went for a few beers on a Friday evening, draw the, as I said, yeah, wasn't many mobile phones around, and come home that evening, you know, into bed, and uh, Tommy and Siobhan were, were standing me at the time, you know, and Siobhan's shaking me and shaking me, you know. I said, what's wrong, what's wrong? You know when you sort of wake up at a half a day's, and she's your mother's on the phone. Watching well, on the phone for two o'clock in the morning. So I picked up the phone, you know, and all right, Mum, what's wrong? She says she's dead. Your sister's dead, she says. And even to them, you know, even to this day, after, you know, all these years, I can still hear my mother screaming down the phone, you know. It just it, it devastated the whole lot of us, like any other family who, who gets hurt with cancer and then I had to go up and tell Mick, Grand Allison was living around the corner, wake her up. She was just surreal and her someone who didn't do nothing crazy in her life could be took away at 29. But as years go on, it doesn't get any easier, but you embrace the situation. It, my mother never gets over it, as, as probably you have loads of listeners here who lost children. But you embrace and you, you you try to make things easier. So when we said we'd form the supporters club, I said to my brother Mick, we'd, we'd name it after Margaret, you know, to keep her name alive. Back in then, you know, you couldn't, there was no, you know, Facebook and all that crack and you couldn't be sharing pictures, you know. We just wanted to keep the, the name, you know. You know, people have asked me maybe a million times, why did you name the club St. Margaret's? to do with St. Margaret's in Dublin. I said, no, no, no. You tell them the story, you know, and they said it's brilliant. And, you know, I think everyone's very proud that we drive on for all our charity dues and our fundraisers, the Gary Kelly Cancer Centre, our homeless, even the Christmas card appeal, even just to see the name St. Margaret. I know in hindsight, she's looking down at us and, you know, saying, Fair play to you, mad fuckers. You're still alive. You're still... Drives me on. Drives, you know... We, we have a great bunch of lads behind us. And I can't start naming people because you forget someone and you'll be the worst in the world. But we've pushed on for years to make it, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the country, you know? I'm, I'm proud. I mean, mother, every time she sees, you know, if we do a mug or we do a badge, she's all that stuff at home. She's just, even to this day, she's... Uh, to be 82 in March and the, 
the Christmas cards, oh, she's delighted herself, you know, because the name is still alive and the passion's still there, even after all these years, you know. Yeah, Hilly, I, um, I've had tears of joy on this podcast and I uh, have to say I'm actually a little emotional listening to you because I only knew Margaret briefly. She was a couple of years ahead of me in school and uh, I think for a short while she might have been one of my brothers, maybe Eamon's sweetheart. They were uh, good pals in school and um, he, he always speaks very highly of Margaret and I just, the listeners won't be able to, to see, but I just, you know, she was such a beautiful looking girl. She definitely didn't, you might have got the brains, but she definitely got the looks in the family. Um, and yeah, it's, it's uh, as I said, it, it, it's quite emotional hearing about her. And I think the club is a great um, honour to her. It's great that you named the Gary Kelly Cancer Charity there and charities like that went around for people who had lost loved ones or were going through. It's great that the club is still involved with so many charities, including the Gary Kelly one. And at, at this time of the year, you know, the homeless aid and other charities. So uh, without you, Hilly, as the driving force behind it, you said there's many great men behind it, and there is, and there's some great girls in the club as well. But I've always described it as Saddam, Saddam Hussein, and I think every supporters club that wants to be successful needs a dictator like yourself. Well, uh, yeah, well, that's true. Eugene Cavanaugh said that last week. It was all about uh, some golf club or something, or somebody was having a meeting about something. A meeting for what? They're on about uh, this. Just tell them that's it. Slam down the fist. But on the uh, Gary Kelly thing, see, uh, Gary's uh, sister Mandy, she died in the same year as Margaret in 98, you know, and uh, there's not many people who give away, well, Gary gave away all the money from the, the Celtic Leeds game back in 2002, if I think I'm correct, there, or 2002 May. Uh, another great trip. Uh, well, 1.2 million. Yeah. And to build a centre. In Drada there, if anyone comes through Drada, if you're coming through Drada over the bridge of peace on the left-hand side, it's a credit to that man, what he's done for the for the people of the northeast, uh, for all the, the people who can come in and out for the, the, the daycare up there. I think 8,000 people, 8,000 people a year something there and, and was telling me last year, in and out of the centre with the therapy treatment and the meetings and all. It's just, it should be a statue built of that fella, no matter... What you say about these crooked politicians? People like people like that are just uh, invaluable, invaluable to the communities in uh, in northeast. Yeah, Hilly, he, he's he's done a he, you know he's done an absolutely great job. I interviewed Gary, and it was a rare interview because he doesn't really deal with the media. And I was delighted to have it. And he, he's come back to me, and he, I think his his folk, well, his mum, his, his dad's passed away, and his. His brothers and sisters are delighted to have it down on record about his career and what he's done for the town. And obviously, he, like you, he shared memories of his sister, Mandy. Um, Hilly, you know, I just want to go back to the early days of the club. From a personal point of view, I think, I think those early years, Hilly, of the bus and the boat really set the foundations for the club we have today. The camaraderie, the friendships that were struck up, you know, they're, they're just hard to be. We've had ups and downs. We've had debts, we've had wins and losses, but everyone keeps coming back season after season, you know, and back then Airbus became known as the party bus because the only rule was there was no rules. You know, your thoughts on, you know, back when we had them crazy days on the buses and the boats? Well, crazy days was right. I was just thinking the other day, how do we actually get 50 people on a bus 
phone in the house, 0419802276, and get everyone on and get everyone up and, and ring Jim, Jim Marvin. Well, most of the league lads used to come here. Now, this is pre, uh, pre-Orla days before me house. It was just rebel music, hash, having the crack, flagging the cider. Then we have the big, uh, the big carryout on the bus, pick up you boys and draw it outside McDonald's, up the road, probably in the RD, chasing my knees to feel the boys. And sometimes then, well, it was the old days, there was no motorway then, up through Newry. And you see Bobo, another old, another man gone to soon, another character. You'd see all the Celtic supporters in Newry, you'd pass them by and then head for the boat. And you, it was the best, best days, the best crack. Ken Kenny uh, summed it up there last week. Just that feeling, you know, heading all your mates. As Cairn was right, everyone had their place in the boat. St. Margaret's, Nate Parrick, Mervyn's crowd, Shamey Darrow's crowd, Gilmore, Aidzo. Everyone had their little areas. Everyone had their little clicks. Mark Donnelly with his ham sandwiches, Tom Cunningham, Brian Cunningham, someone selling this, someone selling that, Jack the Plaque, up to the game. Two hangovers later, to the game, straight back to the boat, two few pints, bit of crack, talking about the game. I think it just united everybody. It laid the foundations for what most Celtic supporters club, because anyone who travels from the south, it's you lived in Belfast, at least you landed there at half nine at night. You're home in a half an hour. We'd still another two hours. And if you're going to Dublin, it was another another hour nearly by the time you dropped everyone off. And hopefully in O'Neill's for a few late ones and wake up the next day and you're buzzing you're just buzzing for the crack and having the laugh and getting organised for the next trip listen to yeah. Jim Mervyn moaning yeah it's it's funny when, when you know we talk about the bus when we used to have to phone the house to get you know to book the bus and you know when the club started Christy Murray had a taxi you know now Christy has a fleet of buses but when he got his early buses you know I remember it was colder out. It was colder outside the bus than it was inside the bus. We used to be freezing in some of them buses, but he was the only one that would put up at the antics. And I remember one night around Christmas, we broke down on the motorway in Belfast somewhere, and uh, where we were waiting for another bus to come up to take us down the road, the RUC came along and, and told us, told us off the road. You know, like they just the. Uh, you know, the madness on that bus, Hilly, and the memories I have and the sing-songs. And, you know, when you think back, you know, all we had, as you say, was ham sandwiches and a rebel tape and a pack of cans. pack of cans and memories. And uh, there's one thing in life, no matter the way the years are going, once you have them memories and that buzz in your stomach, even talking about it now, as we said in the club WhatsApp, we'll have to do a couple of bus trips when we do get back up and running because maybe the buzz might be gone because we're a bit older and balder and we're all wearing glasses, but... Uh, the crack, the days, you know, the memories. As you said, the people we've lost over the years, the good members of the club, and just love to have them all on that bus for just one more day, just for the sing song. And then on the way down the windy road, coming down, if you close your eyes, you can nearly see, are, you, are, we, are we there yet? Are we here yet? And getting off there, I'm running up them steps just to get that pint, get a pint, get a pint. Anyone, any sandwiches left? Jim Mervyn maybe have a couple of sneaky meal tickets. Oh, geez, you'd be like the king there sitting having your free dinner with the truckers. Simple as days <laughs> the best days ever. Yeah, but look, look, everything moves forward, Hilly, you know, and we generally fly now. If you could, like I've said it to all the guests now, if I had my time machine and if I could put you in, in that time machine, you know, 
over 20 years traveling with St. Margaret's, you know, where, where does that toy machine take you back to? What game or what trip? Well, it'd be a couple of games, to be honest with you. A couple of games. Even before uh, when I was traveling with Nate Parry, proud member of them, great club, as I said already. Uh, I think I'd shoot back first to the 95 Cup final. Uh, I think myself, Tommy, Roddy Brodigan, Scobie, and my brother might be Nate Parry, but tickets are very scarce. I think we hadn't won a trophy for six years and it was a Scottish Cup final. I know, as I said before, the, the younger listeners, they've been spoiled the last few years with all these trophies. Spoiled. Hadn't won nothing for six years. Now, when Big Van Hydonk scores, I was with all the, the good-looking lads from Nate Parry. I know they're probably listening now. They all know who they are. All the goodisons when they're all good-looking lads with their best of gear on them. Jesus, <laughs> uh, we hugged each other and we hugged each other when that, when that final whistle went. And every time I see that picture of uh, Paul McStay, Tommy Burns, at the end, just flood back, floods so many memories. But up to the game, I hadn't even got a ticket. We'd, uh, I think we two of the home end, two of the Adrian end, and I said to the boys, I'll go watch it. I think it's the International Bar. But just when I was walking away, this Southern supporter shouted these cops going, yes, you know, blah, blah, blah. Cops jumping top them and handcuffed them. I says, What's the crack of your ticket? It's in me back pocket, mate. It's in me back pocket. As much as you want. 20 quid. Fucking the golden ticket. Dancing up to Hampton. <laughs> then, of course, we won 1-0. 1-0. The winner Scottish Cup. Jeez, it was, like, it was like winning the World Cup then, you know. So happy. Then we move on probably to, uh, I think, stopping the 10. 98. That season. Stop the 10 was just that day against St. Johnson. The nerves. Even when, uh, I think it was your man Boyle, was it? The, he, I think he played for Linfield before that. He he missed a sitter. Then we got the two goals. And I think it was the, le- the least I ever drank before he gave me life. My nerves were gone. Just stop that 10 and the emotion. Everyone running on the pitch after it. Just to be there. It was actually me and Mark Bork and Scobie were sitting together in the north stand at the time. The raw emotion, the crack. I think we stayed overnight and uh, we we some laughing the way home with the, the lads. I won't mention names, but I remember when one of them got that drunk, had to get a wheelchair to get him off the boat, get him on the boat to bring him home. He was drinking raw vodka with cigarette butts in it. I know he's on my Facebook page, but I won't mention any names. Jesus, what a sense. <laughs> I remember it. I remember it. It just seemed to be the build-up, you know. Even the League Cup final in 88 when we uh, played in Ibrox against uh, Dundee United. The year, we, we seemed to be coming out of the doldrums slowly but surely. And then... I don't like getting on about the, the famous 6-2 game. I know you're talking to Steve the other day, great interview. Uh, it was a struggle for years with a Celtic supporter. But oh my God, what a day. What a day. I thought this, the stand was going to collapse. It was the beginning of one of the greatest eras we ever had with the Hartsons, the Suttons, the Lennons, the names, the Boba Baldies. We were spoiled. We were spoiled. The 6-2 game that was a good Rangers team as well. It just started a great roller coaster with Martin O'Neill and that. As, as you said, we went to cities we only dream about. Some good, some bad. Even going to Blackburn, Manchester, you know, good cracks. Great, unbelievable memories. You'd nearly forget about it only I was listening to the podcast there yesterday evening, you know. No, and you move memories. on, I suppose. Oh, great memories. I'll nearly, I'll, I've just a couple more games because you could pick so many. I suppose Bo Vista. Bo Vista, the 1-0 game. 
the day, the crack, two euros a pint all day, the laugh, the gold, the crying, the hugs, the emotion, heading for Seville 17 years ago, only like it was yesterday. And then, of course, the last one really enjoyed it a year ago. The last one, sorry, lads, we're waffling on here. We back Lazio. It just put your faith back in football. Been in Rome, the Vatican, meeting Lennon, up to the game, after the game, good crack, few whiskeys, few beers, laughing and joking. What's football all about with your mates? It's like life, just goes so quick. Yeah, it's it's funny, Hilly. You've been through so many memories there, and I suppose you know there's a lot of trips that. You know, you could go on and on and on about different games and some that we didn't win, but the, the crack was 90. You'd be so busy with tickets and your phone would be hopping and obviously you still ha- you still to be on call from your from your real job when you're away. So you're, you, you're very busy. But if I can pick two games out that I was with you, because normally when the tickets are sorted out, we may not be in the same stand or, you know, we, we may travel separately now and we may even not eat, we may just bump into each other for a beer at the game, but I met you inside the stadium in Rome last year and we had we had a brilliant 90 minutes. We know every emotion. And then after it, we back into the city with Tommy and Ryan and a nice meal and a couple of drinks. And, you know, I think we realised then we were getting older and we were getting a bit more mature when young Ryan was looking for us to go to the where the parties were on and we were, we were happy to sit there with a bottle of wine and our pizzas. But if I can think back when we were a little younger, you mentioned Bovista there. That trip to Porto, as you said, two euros a beer. We couldn't find a pub and we went into a restaurant and asked them could we have a table, which they gave us. They allowed us to sit there and drink all day. And then we, we came out and we get it. There was four of us, if you remember. And we got into a taxi and we said the stadium. But we didn't know the stadium was just up the road. The taxi drove us up. Uh, one of the lads in the back, Roland O'Shea, said, I'll pay for this. He handed you 50 quid. You said to the driver, must we owe you, mate? He said, two euros. You paid the two euros and we all got out of the car. So it was round and round when we got to this pub beside the ground. And up, when he came back with the beers, he said to you, where's me change? And you says, I thought you said to the driver, keep the change. You gave the driver a 48, euro, a 48 euro tip. I'll never forget his face. He, he was raging, so he was. But that was just, and I, I always wondered why the taxi had done a U-turn and came back and bipped the horn at us so loud. Because, you know, 50 quid for a, a 30-second journey was quite a good a good earn at that day. But in the stadium, Hilly, I spoke to Rob Douglas about this recently. We gave, we gave Rob a big shout, me and you. We were roaring at him like two demented lunatics before the game. Then we went in and, and we couldn't get uh, our seats. So we sat in the press box and they threw us out of the press box. And we ended up sitting on the steps, if you remember. And you yeah. kept saying to me, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. And when I go within that day, I turned around you and you were in floods of tears. you remember that? All the emotion, all the hard days, all the cold mornings. Anyone who gets up to Folly Celtic half four in the morning and you know there's some great Celtic supporters clubs in this country. Some great lads from Kilkenny, the Wicklow, the Arklow, all over the Waterford lads, Nib Party lads, uh, every, anyone who gets up, all the emotions, half four in the mornings, everything just seemed to come out. I still get emotional thinking about it. A lot of dedicated people falling south in this country and we, we do, a lot of them don't get the respect they deserve from the famous arm, armchair fans. And days like that, far between, 
at the minute, but the good days will come again. And geez, I'm getting a buzz here. I nearly go for a drink after this interview. I, I think that was a day trip, Hilly, and um, yeah. I, I have to tip my cap to, to our wives for putting up with us, especially last season. But we went on a day trip. I think we flew out of Belfast. We left Drada maybe two o'clock in the morning, and we got a flight. And we arrived back in, I think, at four o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning into Belfast and came down the road. But like when we came down the road, I'm sure, I'm sure we hit the early house. I don't think the party ended there. And, you know, if memory serves me right, we probably only went home after a, a couple of days on the beer to change and shower so we could go to Glasgow. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll quote all that. So I'm going over next week. I said, I don't care where you go. It's not the going. It's the coming back. You'll miss it for three days, you said. She said, go to Celtic every day, but come home. Yeah, well, after some games, it's, uh, it is hard to go home because you just want you just want the party to go on forever, Hilly. But unfortunately, you know, the there's no parties at the moment, but hopefully he'll we'll get a result on Sunday. We'll get a settled team. You know, the, the pressure's still on Lennon. The pressure's on the players. But, you know, hopefully we'll get back to the Alto Hotel. You mentioned Bobby Singh earlier. We'll have a good curry, a few points, and we'll head to Celtic Park for one of these European nights again. Or, or, or if, the, if, it's a, if it's a game during the day, we'll go back down the road and have a few points again, you know, in the art of our, in, in our favourite pubs and just keep maybe positive, try keep positive and try keep dreaming of getting back to paradise. And, you know, Hilly, it's, it's, it's always a pleasure to chat to you. Uh, we have a few arguments over the years. We had a few falling outs, but we always made up over, over a point. It's been a pleasure to chat to you for the podcast and I'm sure I'll chat to you again tomorrow. <laughs> well, Andrew, just where you go, yeah, Life's not perfect. Everyone's are ups and downs and ups and downs and rows and arguments and what colour balloon you wanted the dinner dance and ice is green and you said white and blah, blah, blah. We don't get balloons. But that's a circle of life, you know, and enjoy your life and hopefully we do get back. And I look forward to meeting all the lads, Shimmy Darrow's, Tom Kennedy's, the silly fuckers in the club, the Carmagees, the Keen McCormick's, the Venom crew, the lads, the Billy Nolans. You can go on naming them forever. Paddy Teos, Nilo Learys, just to be up in Dublin Airport. You know, good days will come again and we'll enjoy these days again because, geez, it's been a long time since March. But listen, Andrew, just well done on the podcast, the more 90 minutes, the Thai Festival and everything else. And if you're posting the fee, it's 11 mil race to Leak County Mead. Thanks very much. Well, Hilly, I'll revolute it a forever. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank Cheers, you. pal. Hilly is an old friend who I've travelled over many years with to see Celtic, home and away. There are so many Hillies throughout the Celtic support who give up their time to run supporters clubs and supporters buses throughout the world. I salute you for all your hard work and endless hours. More than 90 minutes? Well, I always love to see it coming from the printers. I still get a great buzz, although I get the digital edition a couple of days before. It's only when the print edition comes in and I get it in my hand and I'm flicking through it that I, I suppose I still get a little buzz from it. Issue 111 arrived yesterday at the HQ, I suppose you could call us down here in the middle, and same thing again, open the first box and get the feel of that little magazine. I suppose I'm emotional and I'm a bit of an old-timer, but listen, thanks very much to everyone who pre-ordered copies. They've all been posted out, along with copies to the subscribers, patrons, sponsors, and to all the contributors. Another packed edition, I must say, although I am biased, with plenty of opinion pieces and historical articles. David Potter looks back at Hamden in the Sun, and looks at the career of John Mulrooney. Journalist and author Steve Finnan joins us for a conversation. 
Kieran Kenny tells us we have to look beyond the 10. Rachel Lynch joins the conversation of Lennon in, Lennon out, while Tommy Sheridan continues to back the manager. Lisbon Lion John Fallon is back with all things Celtic. Chrissy Boy reviews Into the Bear Pit, the autobiography of Craig White. Tim Malloy returns and Liam Kelly looks back at when Jock Steen took the European Champions to East Kilbride to play cricket of all things. Football without fans is nothing, says Paddy McManaman, as he looks back at the late Hugh McIlvenny and his thoughts on modern football. Owen Coyne looks back at our system failures this season and there's a few more bits and pieces in there for you to enjoy. With no match day sales, your support is invaluable because without your support there would be no print edition. The new t-shirts and hoodies were delivered today and I've been busy packaging them up earlier on so that's why the podcast is a little late coming out. So thanks to everyone who pre-ordered. The t-shirts are on the way and the hoodies are on the way out of the league for the St. Margaret Celtic Supporters Club. If you want to visit our shop online you'll get some great ideas for Christmas presents and stocking fillers for the Celtic fan in your life. And it would be much appreciated because you would be supporting independent Celtic fan media. As always, big shout out to my producer, Ronan McQuillan, who is sporting his new Boys Are Back In Town t-shirt. So I'm, I'm sure there'll be a picture on Instagram later on for all his fans and followers. If you like what we're doing and you would like to support us, as always, you can hook up to CelticFansIn.com where you can become a member, subscribe, buy or donate for the price of the point. And thanks to everyone who donated after the Steve Walford podcast. We promise no one wanted Google adverts on our website or articles and no one wanted advert interruptions on our podcasts. We're keeping it real and we're keeping it independent. Your support helps us to continue to produce quality, independent fan journalism, podcasts, videos, free live events when we we can go back doing them. But folks, don't worry. If you're not in a position to financially support us this time, don't worry. We will still deliver the same quality content free to all fans. Please download the app. That's free as well. And you'll have access to all the podcasts, articles, daily news, video content, events, stuff about the fans in, and you can also click into our online. Keep all your coming, all episodes, and don't forget to give us suggestions for a few guests. Um, So don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button, and you'll never miss an episode. And if you visit our Instagram page, Aaron has it up there. You just click in and it'll bring you straight into Spotify. Thanks again to our episode sponsor, Celtic Canvases Ireland. As always, thank you so much, Owen, for your continued support, and best of luck with your business. If your business or Celtic Supporters Club like the podcast and would like to become a sponsor, please email us at info at or contact us through the usual on the website or message us on social media. Here's some of your comments. Great chats recently with Kieran, Rab, Rudy, Steve and Joe. Keep up the good work. Stay safe, big man. The famous Shamrock Rovers appreciated the shout out. Number 18, Mark Donnelly, a dub living in Glasgow. Brilliant podcast with Steve Wolf Millish. Love Big Wally. He's a great guy. Hope you're all well, mate. Marty Riley, Glasgow. Steve Walford, great guy. Alan Thompson, and he should know we played with him. Average Joe Miller, good podcast, Millish. Also, fair play to the shout out for the drugs. Brendan Baxter. Big shout out to the wee woman washing all the cups and plates in the background during the Steve Walford podcast. Mick Gavin. Good man, Mick. No matter how much sound equipment we bought, we couldn't hide that one. I really enjoyed that interview, Millish. Great interview with Steve Walford. Great memories of the 6 2 game. Keith Crosby, Drada. Average Joe Miller, a great listen about Celtic music and life in lockdown, PR. Okay, folks, well, that's it for another podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back on Tuesday with episode 40 when we will have another guest opening up their Celtic soul to us. And we look back at the Motherwell game before the international break. Enjoy the rest of the week, folks. Although frustrating as it is, these are frustrating times, but we just have to try to stay positive. Sunday is a must win now. So until then, folks, stay tuned. Stay safe and, as always, keep the faith.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.